Now, everyone has been accounted for except Satan. What happens to him? Let's begin with chapter 20, verse 1. And it says, Then, then, after the beast, after the Antichrist, after the false prophet, after the prostitute have been destroyed, then I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. Now we're not unfamiliar with the bottomless pit. We ran into it before. It's the same exact words uh, used in chapter 9 to describe the bottomless pit as is now being used here again in uh, chapter 20. And for your reading pleasure, I might add 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 2 describes this bottomless pit uh, with additional references. But for our purposes, this bottomless pit, chapter 9 of the book of Revelation, verse 1, when the fifth angel sounded, meaning sounded a trumpet, I saw a star fall from heaven to the earth, and to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. Now, you note the substantial distinction between an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a star falling from heaven uh, unto the earth and was given the key to the bottomless pit. One is a divine messenger who has a divine purpose in mind. The other is a dethroned entity, a dethroned figure who was given a task. If you compare the two very quickly, I won't dwell on this, um, the angel of the abyss, it's really the one who was a gatekeeper of this abyss, a demon who is described variously as Abaddon or Apollyon. And that would be found in verse 11 uh, of Revelation 9. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in the Greek language, his name is Apollyon. All right? But if you go back now, this, this is why it's describing him as one who is dethroned. He's now reduced to serving the purposes of God. This is from Revelation 9. Uh, verse 2 says, And he opened the bottomless pit, and there rose smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and air were darkened by reason of the smoke 
from the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and they had power as the scorpions of the earth have power, and they were given certain restrictions and restraints as to the use of that power. Here again in Revelation 20, same reference to the pit, then I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid a hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. Now who did he lay hold of? Satan. As a great chain, and bound him for a thousand years, cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal on him, so that uh, he should deceive the nations no more until the thousand years were finished. But after these things, after the thousand years are finished, he must be released for a little while. Now when I look at Scripture, you see, I typically ask the question, is this symbolic? Is it actual or does it have a double meaning, both symbolic and actual? When I came to the question of this abyss, asking the question, is this metaphorical? You know, is it actual? I'm reminded of this. When Jesus came into the country of Gadara, there was a man who was demon-possessed who cried out to Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, he said. And Jesus had compassion on him. The demons asked Jesus, Son of God, have you come here to torment us before the time? And then this phrase, and they begged him not to send them into the abyss. Instead, they begged Jesus for permission to enter a herd of swine on the slopes of uh, this region called Gadara and they begged him for permission to go into the swine. There's a large herd of swine. Jesus granted them permission and the demons rushed into the pigs. The pigs decided that a pig that is typically not the cleanest of animals decided that with a demon it need, they needed a bath, so they, were, they ran down into the, into the water and were drowned. Did this actually happen or is it allegorical? No, it actually happened. So we know that there were demons in the man, we know they claimed to be many, and we know that Jesus granted permission, we believe these things as actual, 
and a herd of swine rushed over and drowned in, in uh, Lake Gennesaret or the Sea of Galilee. We know that. So demons know that there's a place called the abyss. Demons know that there are demons in the abyss. Demons were terrified of being sent to the abyss, begged for permission to go into swine as opposed to being sent to the abyss. But more to the point, they they knew that Jesus had the power to send them to the abyss. And they were asking if he had come to torment them before the time when they would be tormented, when they would be judged. So all that's true. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 2, he says that God did not spare, uh, verse 4, verse 4 of 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 4 says this, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, You know that? Demons were put in chains in the abyss. Here it's referred to as hell. The English rendition is the word hell. The Greek rendition is T-A-R- T-A-R-double-O, Tartaru, or Tartarus, T-A-R-T-A-R-O-S. The Greeks made a distinction in the references to hell, and the Bible makes a distinction in the references to hell. Hell contained, hell was the entire realm and it contained, before it was decommissioned in in part, when Jesus arose from the dead, he brought out of the realm of the departed, a place called paradise, he brought back with him those who had been in paradise, been the same place is called Abraham's bosom. He brought them back to life with him, so that that little that little expression in Matthew that says, "When Jesus died, the earth shook, the rocks split, and the graves of the righteous dead were opened, and they came to life and they walked around with Jesus until he ascended to heaven." Forty days later leading captives in his chain, in his train. So a portion of hell has been decommissioned, that portion that used to be called Abraham's bosom or paradise. 
the unrighteous dead are still in one of the remaining portions of hell. Hell being the term Hades, the realm of the departed spirits. One of the portions is, the two active portions as far as I know. One still contains the souls of human beings. That portion is called Gehenna. It's named after the valley of Hinnon and it describes a condition of torment and regret or torment by regret. That's the condition or place for human souls. This other place called Tartaru is that place referred to here in 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 4. If God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down into hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. That's not allegorical. That's not allegorical. So that this abyss, Tartaru, would be opened by Abaddon or Apollyon and demons would come out of it and come out on the earth and function in a capacity of torment in the end of the age, inspiring demonic concepts as the basis of human interactions. That's a condition that will exist on the earth in the last days as spoken of in the ninth chapter of the book of Revelation. And that place, when they come out, when the demons come out of the abyss, that place is not, is not done away with. Because Satan is now being imprisoned in the same thing. Where is Satan now? Satan is now ruling from a seat in the second heavens. How do you know? Well, Paul made the matter plain. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. He spoke to the Ephesians in chapter 6, the great passage on the armor of God. We wrestle against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There are three heavens, the highest heavens being the seat of God's throne, the second heavens, the seat of demonic influence, third heavens being the heavens above the earth. When Satan is thrown out, Revelation chapter 12 speaks of it, says, War in heaven, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, who is the devil and Satan, the dragon and his angels, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but there was found no place for them, and they lost their place in the heavens. And then the next line is, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because the devil has gone down to you. 
and he's filled with fury because he knows his time is short. So as the age concludes, Satan will be expelled from his place in the heavens. He only rules there now uh, because the time of his expulsion has not come. But he doesn't actually have the authority. He has no greater authority than what God permits because Jesus overcame him on the cross and as Jesus returned to heaven, one of his stops was in this realm to overthrow the power that ruled in the affairs of men. So Satan has been defeated but he continues to exercise authority over nations until the permitted time. That authority is the authority of deception. So it's a mistake to say, as some have said, that Jesus overcame Satan on the cross. That's not a mistake. But some foolishly have said, so Satan has no power anywhere. That's simply not true. He has power over nations and that power is the power of deception. God has permitted him to continue until until that time. His power is even over the saints because the saints do not know his wiles and schemes. But if you do know his wiles and schemes and you press your claims as a member of the body of Christ against him, then he has to relent. But the people who say we don't need to press our claims against Satan, we don't need blockage removal, fail to understand the order of these things. And though their message sounds like liberty, in fact it aids the enemy in maintaining strategic control via deception over the mindsets even of believers. If this is not true, tell me this, if you're a believer, how then do you still have struggles with matters that relate to your soul? You don't have any struggles relating to your spirit, but you're not under the rule of your spirit until your soul has been forced to relent and give up control. But churches are packed with the preachers who preach for these churches are preaching to people whose marriages are in trouble, who have secret sins, who have doubt, fear, unbelief, all of that. If all of that were done away at the cross, then how is it that people still struggle with these things? And I'm not talking about weak people, I'm talking about good people. So no, the proponents of this gospel are not speaking the truth and they're less than helpful to you. And if you're going to ever be free, you've got to stop listening to them and turn away and seek answers because there really are answers other than you just have to believe. You can believe all you want to. If the demonic 
continues to co-opt your emotions, which are your soul, the emotions of your soul, you will behave predictably and it won't be because you're in control, it's because they're in control. They have to be evicted and that requires you pressing your claim against them. I have an entire series on this app on called Blockage Removal which tells us in principal part the theology of these things. But anyway, there is an abyss, demons are presently in it, demons that are on the earth, not all demons are in it. Some are in the second heavens, some are specifically located in particular places such as four great angels being bound by the great river Euphrates and they're waiting for a particular time. Demons are on the earth and inhabiting people. Demons rule over areas of the earth, prince of Persia, the prince of Greece and their characteristics are typically on display in the nations they rule over. Evil spirits ruled in the Mayan empire, we know the character of those spirits, they were bloodlust, they, they had bloodlust for children, they sought to destroy a nation by destroying its children. Demons rule over ancient Greece, those were the demons of, well we know that because it's called the Prince of Greece, their manifestation was reason. America has the, uh, the spirit of lawlessness that it calls personal freedom. Nations are ruled by the character of the princes that rule these nations, simple, very simple. These, these are biblical principles. So demons are not all confined to the abyss, but there are some who have been confined to the abyss and they have a king over them whose name is Abaddon, in, uh, in Hebrew, Apollyon in Greek and when they're let out and we know why they're in, they were some of the worst, most, most misshapen of demonic, of the, of the culture of that which opposes God. They're lawless in the extreme, when they come out they torment men because they know no restraint. The demons in the man in the country of Gadara did not want to be sent to that place. They begged Jesus not to. So these are not allegorical references, these are actual references. There is actually a place called Tartaru, it's one of the divisions of hell. It's one of the division, it's the abyss, it's the confinement of the demonic. Demons are in it right now, demons may be sent to it because these demons were afraid that Jesus would send them to the abyss. As it regards the entire realm of the demonic, that realm has been defeated by Christ and when we are sent in His name, we will engage the demonic whether they rule over nations or they inhabit people or embedded in the culture and our word brings light and life and release 
from those who have been held in bondage. This is what spiritual warfare is about. This is what the book of Ephesians tells us and how to conduct this warfare. The shield of faith is a key and critical component of this. It's not this nonsense of walking around cities and and dragging crosses uh, along the land. and That's what we did when we were children. It wasn't effective. Look at the conditions of the world around us. Far worse than when we used to do that nonsense. Jericho marches and we've become the laughing stock of the world because we refuse to grow up. These things are not allegorical, they're real and they're part of the interaction of the invisible world with our world. The invisible world involves the presence of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, they involve angels on our side and and on the other side they involve demons that are working through the structures of nations and through, particularly through the structures of the cosmos, to imprison men, men and women, in the belief structure that if you can control these systems, you can control your own destinies. These are, these are all very real things. What happens to Satan? As all the other enemies of God, the false prophet, I mean the, 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 the prostitute church, um, the beast, the false prophet, the Antichrist, as they're all destroyed in sequence, the focus comes to be on Satan. An angel under the command, under divine commission is given, is given the key to this bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. We don't know the name of this angel. If I were to venture a guess, and this is all that it is, a guess, it would be Michael because he's the only one who has had a 100% successful track record in putting down Satan and in putting down great demonic princes. Uh, we know that Satan and great demonic princes contend even with powerful archangels like Gabriel. We know that from Daniel where the prince of Persia contended with the angel Gabriel who was sent to bring a message to Daniel and it took Michael the archangel to come and to grant him the necessary relief from the opposition of the Prince of Persia. 
Whether or not it's Michael, I am not averring that this is the case with absolute certainty. But if I were to hazard an opinion based upon my understanding of Scripture with principal reference to that angel that has had known success in in neutralizing Satan, I would say, if you ask my opinion as to what is the name of this angel, it wouldn't be Abaddon, it wouldn't be Apollyon. My opinion is, and only my opinion now, my opinion is that it's Michael. Michael was built for this. When he comes to lay hold of Satan, look, he's laying a hold of the dragon, the old serpent who is the devil and Satan. These words are used repetitively in Scripture to make sure you understand the identity of the one who is the subject of these actions. And he's cast into this bottomless pit, Tartarus, which is not an illusion, not an allegory, not metaphorical, and set a seal on him. You know, when one of the seven seals was broken, I think it was the fifth seal, the the demons were let out of the abyss. Uh, I'm wondering if sealing this abyss is part of the divine process of putting this place under divine command. A seal is not necessarily an application of wax and a stamp on a portal. It's putting it under divine mandate. It's called preemption, divine preemption where God rules in a matter, it is final and settled for the time and for the duration and for the purposes that God intends. And this seal will last a thousand years and will not be broken until after that. This happens contemporaneous with the return of the Lord to the earth. With Satan being in this bottomless pit for a thousand years, then the reign of Christ on the earth for a thousand years begins. The word millennium is derived from the Latin word mil, M-I-L-L-E, which means thousand. Mil is the word for thousand. The word for year in Latin is annus, A-N-N-U-S, annus annum, A-N-N-U-M. That's how you, often how you decline words in in uh, Greek, uh, in, in Latin, the English say that a gentleman needs not know Latin, 
but he must at least have forgotten it. I think in that regard I might qualify as a gentleman because I used to study Latin and I've forgotten most of it from this use. So I know about words like this. Mil is the word for thousand. Anus, anum is the word for year. It's where we get the word annual from, meaning yearly. So you combine the two, mil, anus, mil, anum, you get the word millennium. Uh, when I was in Church of Christ, one of their arguments was that, well, the word millennium doesn't actually appear in the Scriptures. Well, it does, if you read it in the Latin Vulgate, Jerome's Latin Vulgate, it would, it would say millennium, mil annus annum. English is a different language, but the concept is still the same. Anytime, in any capacity, you refer to a period of a thousand years, if you speak Latin or if you understand Latin, you would refer to that period as a millennium. Here it is. It says, verse 4, Revelation 20, I saw thrones and they that sat on them, judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, or had not received his mark on their forehead or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years, not in heaven, but here on the earth. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who is part of the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and they shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, if this thousand year were in heaven, then who would be in the millennium? All those in heaven. But they're the rulers. They come with him and they rule for a thousand years. So, who is ruling over whom in this thousand year period and where does that reign take place? Well, here on the earth. The big event is Jesus has returned. You might have missed that at the end of chapter 19, but that's when he returns. The ones he brings with him are those who have been clothed in his brightness. Indeed, he brings all with him who has been in heaven, but not all would have been prepared because some, though in heaven, like the five foolish virgins, 
would have work to be finished up. They were disobedient, but they were once the sons of God. Their disobedience and their disobedience will be punished in part by correcting their disobedience. They will be the ones ruled over together with all the ones who survive that which happens as the beast is destroyed and as nations are brought into judgments. The nations will be ruled over with a rod of iron. Why would God need to rule over the saints with a rod of iron? And why would the saints rule over each other with a rod of iron? The rod of iron means that you have not been obedient and you're going to learn obedience in this period if you have been disobedient. Two types of disobedient people, ones who heard and rejected, one saved, those who heard received it in part but would not go on, then they will be subject to the rule of a rod of iron to be made to conform to the standards of divine righteousness. Satan will have been removed from the picture so there will be no tormentor, no tempter, no confusion of the mind, no replay of the Garden of Eden. Jesus will remain unrivaled in His power and in His authority and in the corporate man, also known as the bride, in that entity He will rule upon the earth over the nations that were disobedient and over servants, sons even, whose immaturity precluded their being obedient. Leaves unanswered certain questions. What is the point of ruling over disobedient sons? The answer is very simple, to make them obedient. More important question, what will happen to people who did not ever receive Christ but are now being ruled over in the millennium? Well, I'll save that one for the next series which will be upcoming. I hope wading into this darkness, wading into what is nothing short of a theological swamp, that we're able to help you find the firm footing of the truth because this is the time for the revelation of such things because this is the need that exists now so that you may be able to distinguish between the folly of present mountain rapture to conflate two bogus claims and the politicizing of the things of God which are just leading people into a death trap. And those who have a heart, who have ears to hear, eyes to see and a willing heart to believe and to be obedient.
This message is for you. The last category described. The rest I can't do anything about. The rest will happen as we've said because that's what the Word says. If you're hearing this message and you have not yet made a decision to flee the corruption and darkness of this age, then there's still time. Now is the appointed time. This is the day of salvation. If you want to know more about how to flee from this darkness, it's come upon the earth. And if you're a believer who are hearing these things for the first time, I urge you to listen to all these messages and if you want to contact us, uh, contact us on the app. Either way, if you, need to, if, you, if you need to make contact, please do so. We're not looking for your money, we're not looking for your membership, but I know that leaving this out there There may be, or putting this out there, there may be, there may be further questions, and we, there are people who can answer these questions for you. I'm Sam Solon, and uh, we'll speak again soon. Bye for now.